Like many of you, I love babies, little children, and puppies. And this is perfect day for me to preach here then. When we had a little puppy, and our little children were really small babies, I often hugged them and held them in my arms. And in the most cheerful tone, I said, you are so adorable, I want to bite you. I said those words in Korean, that's my native language, and I soon learned that it's not just I who said those things in Korean. Most people that I know said something like that in English by saying, you are so adorable, I can eat you up. I can bite you off. And then I learned that it is almost universal for people to say this across the languages and cultures. So psychologists call it cute aggression. And there are some studies about it. But my point today is not about the aggression part. My point is about more on the connection between what you are finding adorable and the reference to biting and eating there. You are not simply there saying, you are so adorable, I want to beat you up. Rather, you are saying, you are so adorable, so I want to eat you up. So I find this visceral connection between what you eat and what you find adorable, the connection between your affection and your food, so interesting. Today's gospel lesson is another strange passage. Jesus offered himself as a living bread from heaven. And he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And those who are used to listening to this saying might have forgotten how strange it sounds. If you think about it, you can easily see how creepy it can sound. No wonder Jesus' opponent was challenging him here by saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Later in the following passage, even Jesus' own disciples were saying, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? But Jesus sounded very serious about it. In verse 53, Jesus was saying, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Well, where our English translation says very truly there, you can hear what Jesus was saying in the original text. Amen, amen, I tell you. You don't need to learn Greek or Aramaic to understand his point. Amen, amen, I tell you. He was very serious about it. It's already graphic and disturbing image we have here. In the following verse, verse 54, he says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And our translation also used the word eat again there. But those who read Greek would notice that Jesus was using a different verb. There he says, O Trogon, which means, I would say, those who feed on. And some argue that the verb there, Trogon, evoked the image of animal munching food. That verb, I think, adds realism to Jesus saying here. So how shall we understand this strange message of Jesus? Let's zoom out a little bit today. In John's Gospel, Jesus has been talking about food for a while. In chapter 4, Jesus went to Samaria, and he met a woman at a well. And in this important incident, he reached out to this woman beyond all kinds of social boundaries they had. Then Jesus' disciples came back and urged him to eat. They said, Rabbi, teacher, eat something. And interestingly, Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat, right? And Jesus said to them, my food is to the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Huh? Interesting. Later, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And after the miracle, the crowd was trying to take him by force and make him king. And Jesus avoided the crowd. And they were now on hunt to find him. At this point, those who know the scripture would see the parallel between Jesus feeding the multitude and Moses feeding the hungry in the wilderness with the food that came from the heaven, 
called manna. Indeed, the crowd asked Jesus later, What sign are you going to give us so that we may believe you? Then they referred to Moses' miracle by saying, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Then Jesus reminded them that it was not Moses, but God, who gave them the bread from heaven. And he told them, God's bread from heaven gives life to the world. The crowd asked him, Give us this bread always. Remember, this crowd was following him because Jesus miraculously fed their stomach. So here they're saying, give us this bread always. They probably mean, fill our stomach always. But unlike Moses, who offered manna, Jesus didn't give more food to eat. Instead, he said, I am the bread of life. And I can picture of the faces of the confused crowd. They were expecting Jesus to give out more miraculous food, the heavenly bread of life. But Jesus said he himself was the bread. They must have been wondering what this lunatic was talking about. So they complained. But Jesus did not back down. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Let me pause here. So far, we have seen Jesus introducing two new meanings of food. First, he said, his food is to do the will of God. Second, he said he himself is the bread of life, and those who believe in him will have eternal life. I think Jesus could stop there. It sounds fine to me. Jesus had a special mission to do the will of God. That's his food. And for the rest of us, we just need to believe in him. So those who believe in him will have eternal life. That would be enough for me. But Jesus didn't stop there. He had to add this bizarre message there. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why? What would this disturbing reference to cannibalism accomplish beyond what Jesus already shared with us? Believe in Jesus, then you will have eternal life. Isn't this a classic doctrine of Christianity? It is not a surprise that 
some Protestants, mostly Lutherans, argue that this passage did not add anything to what Jesus already shared with us. It just means that you should believe in Jesus more. Some even suggested that since this passage doesn't add anything to this message, it must be addition later on people added there. However, I do believe Jesus adds something, something irreplaceable, thereby saying this. Think about this. We often say what we eat becomes who we are. Figuratively speaking, we say what what we hear, what we see, what we think become who we are. But here, literally, our food become who we are. When you see some of the medieval paintings, there are some paintings depicting the day of last judgment with the resurrection scene. Then there are some paintings showing that fish and wild beasts looks like swallowing the body parts of people. But actually, they are not swallowing them. They are regurgitating them. So their imagination was, what if you are gone, your body parts is part of the animals now, the time of resurrection, what will happen? So they were imagining, you became the part of these wild beasts, and now your body parts are regurgitated out. Well, I'm not saying that that's the accurate depiction of what we can imagine about our resurrection, but I want to share that the connection between what we eat and who we are goes back in deep in our tradition. There, we consume our food and it becomes part of us. And the, the level of intimacy, the level of a connection, the practice of eating is something unique. There's a visceral connection between our food and us. Jesus could stop a saying, believe in me. But he wanted to go further than that. He wanted to have an intimate relationship with you. He wanted to have a visceral relationship with you. The connection you can imagine being part of who Jesus are and being part of Jesus being who you are. So many readers of this passage want to quickly move away from its literal meaning. I understand why it's a gruesome image, but I want to invite you to think about the blessing Jesus wants to offer to you. He says, eat me. I will abide in you, and you will abide in me. I think about this literally. When you eat his body and drink his blood, Jesus is in you, and you are in Jesus. 
What he offers here is the unique, inseparable connection between him and you. And he says, eat me and abide in me. And how can we do that now? Well, the blessing of eating his flesh and drinking his blood is given to you at this table. We come to this table to eat his body and drink his blood. When you partake in Jesus, Jesus is literally in you and becomes you and you are in Jesus. So what does happen when Jesus abides in you? Well, we are all born into the cycle of birth, eating, and death. What you eat becomes who you are. And there will be time when you cannot consume any more food and you die and return to earth. And all the particles that make who you are will return to dust. What we eat becomes us, and eventually we return to earth. Birth, eat, death, birth, eating, death. The cycle continues as if nothing can interrupt it. Then Jesus broke into the cycle saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus was not simply tweaking the cycle. He was entirely disrupting it by saying, hey, their eternal life is in you now. And when you look at the cycle of birth and death in nature, violence is a big part of it. And Jesus saying, no more violence. Love wins, not violence here. And also Jesus says that By living the life of love, you can win. And he showed that through his life. In today's epistle reading, we hear the warning there, be careful. Be careful how you live because the days are evil. It is similar to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, to not be conformed to this world. These teachings assume a radical transformation in our nature is possible. But how is it possible? Romans 7, didn't Paul he say that I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he cries out, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. 
Nothing good dwells in my flesh. If we cannot control our own flesh, like Paul says, how dare we avoid being conformed to this evil world? But in Christ, we have hope. We partake in Jesus' flesh. He dwells in us, and we dwell in him. His flesh becomes now our flesh. So do not be conformed to this evil world. Yes, that's true, but you cannot do it because you don't have the power in your flesh. But when Christ's flesh becomes yours, when he abides in you and you abides in him, we have hope. Eating is an intimate thing. It is intimate with the connection with the food you consume and also with people you are eating together at the table. When Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it did not mean that you would eat alone. He called us to one table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul reminded of Christians of Christ saying, This is my body which is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, Paul was saying that because he was so concerned. He was concerned because people were not eating together. So Paul says, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, please wait for one another. Make one table for everybody. But you know, eating together is not always easy. It is not easy because sharing a table is one of the most intimate experiences. I'm a Methodist pastor. We Methodist pastors have an annual meeting called annual conference. So we all gather together, have a big, big conference meeting. And several years ago, my colleague told me that her whole family came to the town with her, and she told me one of the reasons her husband came with her was this barbecue restaurant near the gathering place. So later, when I had a chance to have a dinner with the family, I asked her husband whether he went to the barbecue place. And he said, oh, yes, I did. And I asked him, what was so special about that place? Then he began to describe the taste and texture of the food, how juicy the meat is, how crispy the skin is, his facial expressions, his twinkling eyes, his excitement and joy. I can see how much he loves the food. 
It was a listen, like listening to a poet reciting a beautiful poem and listening to him with amazement. I look at him and look at his wife and thinking, wow, this man really, really, truly loves his wife. Because I knew my colleague was a vegetarian. What a great love this couple has. I thought, if you love that barbecue that much, can you live with vegetarian? And if you are a vegetarian, can you love with someone who have that kind of affection and love for the barbecue? It is love when you as a couple to sit down and eat together and have to make a compromise for every meal they share together. It is easier sometimes for us to have love and compassion for someone you can avoid whenever you want. But if you have to share every meal with someone, love has a whole different meaning there. And isn't it interesting that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, not someone living far, far away. Eating together is one of the most intimate and vulnerable moments. No wonder people want to eat with those who look like them, think like them, and dress like them. But in Christ, we are all called to one table. We are called to love one another. And love does not mean agreement on everything. Love does not eliminate our differences. As Paul says later in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love endures everything and love celebrate our differences. Jesus called us to love our neighbors. Your neighbors are not the only ones who belong to your social groups. Your neighbors include those who do not look like you, speak like you, read and think like you, worship like you, vote like you, smell like you, or eat like you. Your neighbor does not only include your friends and allies, but includes your enemies too. So who is missing at your table? I know it is unfair thing to ask during the time when you are practicing social distancing. But when was the last time when you shared a meal with someone who doesn't look like you? Not just feeding them, but sitting down together, breaking the same bread, and sharing stories together.
And I like to ask this question to myself as a reminder of my calling. Our physicality matters. Our physical presence matters as Jesus' physical presence among us matter as well. So Christ called us to invite all to his table. It means we are called to create space for all. So I believe it is Christian love to be vaccinated so that others can join at our table with us as well. Friends, in this pandemic, we cannot celebrate the Holy Communion as we ought to do. We cannot worship the same way we did. We cannot share the table with our neighbors as we ought to do. So today's gospel message breaks my heart. But I do believe Christ still dwells in us even in these limited circumstances when we continue to seek an intimate, inseparable relationship with Christ, Christ will abide in you, and you will abide in him. So keep eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Keep chewing on his words. Keep inviting him to your life. Keep inviting others to your table. Eat and abide in him, and he will abide in you. May the love of Christ fill your body and soul. Amen.